It is a special Ask Dr. Drew. We are welcoming my friend Scott Adams. You can follow him at Scott Adams Says. You can watch his Periscope every morning. You can get his books, How to Fail at Almost Everything and Still Win Big, or also Win Bigly, Persuasion in a World Where Facts Don't Matter. His those are the two books I have read. I didn't realize God Debris. I got to read that one as well. So there's more for me to be learning here from the great Scott Adams. Our laws as it pertain to substances are draconian and bizarre. The psychopaths start this way. He was an alcoholic. Because of social media and pornography, PTSD, love addiction, fentanyl and heroin, ridiculous. I'm a, I'm a doctor for <laughs> sake. Where the hell you think I learned that? You go to treatment before you kill people. I am a clinician. I observe things about these chemicals. Let's just deal with what's real. We used to get these calls on Loveline all the time. Educate adolescents and to prevent and to treat. You have trouble, you can't stop, and you want help stopping. I can help. I got a lot to say. I got a lot more to say. Welcome, Scott. Thanks for having me. It is a privilege, man. And uh, I was giving you grief before the microphones heated up that uh, I have a coffee here. I didn't understand why I was getting coffee, but because you're a trained hypnotist, clearly you have programmed <laughs> me every time I see, not just you, but your room there, which is where you do your Periscope, I must be drinking coffee to have the simultaneous sip that's we all participate in every morning. You know, I try to model the various you know, persuasion tricks that I talk about. And one of them is matching something you like with something you want somebody to like. So I match having coffee with my Periscope to make them like them. And, and you can see the results. It's it's pretty strong if you just keep doing it enough. enough. It is ridiculous. And, and by the way, I, I was having sort of a powerful experience just looking at the backdrop behind you because I watch your Periscope on a regular basis. By the way. I, I found out about your Periscope. I, I found out about Scott long before he started doing his Periscope. I get fascinated by people that have very clear points of view that are communicated about phenomena that aren't usually addressed. So I got very fascinated with Jordan Peterson years ago because I thought he was bringing together anthropology and psychology. And I thought that was very interesting, his Maps of Meaning lectures. And I found you on various podcasts talking about persuasion Probably like four years ago. Uh, when did you start the Periscope? Probably 2016, I think. So it was related to the first election. And maybe you had just, maybe you were making the rounds because you had started the Periscope or something. I, I wasn't aware of it until one Greg Gutfeld leaned across his desk to me when I was on his show and said, aren't you listening to his pod, his Periscope? I'm like, what what Periscope? And, and that was that. And I was hooked. And you strangely had Greg, Greg Gutfeld on this morning. I did. His, his book is on the shelf behind me right there. The, oh, I've already forgotten the name of it. The, it's called the, plus. the plus. The Plus. The Plus. And it's a good book. I, I, I read it and I dog-eared a bunch of stuff. I'm going to be interviewing him on this stream and I've got a bunch of stuff I want to talk to him about. I thought it was quite good. It was not Win Bigley. It was not Win Bigley, but it was quite good. <laughs> so, uh, also before the mics heated up, well, I, I'm, I'm deflecting because this is a, an auspicious day when Scott is in the middle of a You'll excuse the expression, a shitstorm, and we'll describe it in a mere moment. I know those of you that are on YouTube were going, oh, here we go, all right, here it comes. Before we go to that, we talked about something more positive, which was this coronavirus experience has shaken the box in such a way that there are hidden benefits that you're beginning to see. Tell me about that. Yeah, one I mentioned is that the cost of my wedding went way down. If, if you can only do it in the backyard, it uh, saves a lot of money. But there, <laughs> With no guests, no guests, or not very few. 
there's just a ton of things that are there's small things that are better for example when i go to the grocery store i don't love the fact that i'm wearing a mask but i really like the fact that everybody else because <laughs> Because I'm going to be picking up that food and putting it in a bag and taking it home, and the less exhalations there are, the better. I mean, it may, it may be 100% psychological, but it makes makes me happy. We got way more outdoor dining. Yeah, you know, my town cool. was one of the ones that you know I, I suggested early, and I hope that helped that they would turn the main street into a dining thing at night and weekends, and they did, and it's great. It's it's better than you know saying, can we have an outdoor seat on a summer night? And they go, oh, you should have called three days ago. <laughs> now it's outdoors all the time. Yeah, and the weather's yeah. perfect here. I got an e-bike, best thing you've ever seen in your life. If you've never ridden an electric bike hmm. it's a whole cool experience that's like not like anything you can imagine um people walking more exercising more i mean it's just it's a pretty long list of small things i i got a paper receipt yesterday at the grocery store and i said to myself i'll bet this is like a few weeks from never seeing one again because why am i touching it right you know, and uh, there's a whole bunch of handshake things that are not necessary then today in the news I heard a news a bit about how the airports are thinking of eliminating the whole uh, line for check-in, and they just sort of maybe scan your face on the way in, and you're like, nice. oh, we know who you are. Come on. Come yeah, on. nice. So uh, a whole bunch of stuff's going to be better, not to mention pandemic um, preparation for the next one. I mean, it, it, it's hard to put a dollar amount on that, but it's trillions. Yeah, that's that's an important point is that we are sort of ready for the the big one, so to speak. I mean, this is it's like this is like this was a moderately large earthquake as compared to the big one. Nothing I've noticed. Well, in, it, we're, Go ahead. we're also ready in case there's a, I would imagine maybe you can tell me if this is crazy, but aren't we more ready for like a biological attack or would, would I, that be just so different? You know, it, no, it's not so different. And I've discovered that there is a major virology or, or bioterrorism uh, uh, institution in Nebraska, just outside of, I think, Lincoln. And they, I've talked to someone whose sister was working there and they were like, oh my God, these guys, you don't know what they're doing, but it is, it is on over there. So there's something stirred, you know, by this habit, obviously reasonably, right? I mean, if you're a bioterrorism right. expert, you're going <laughs> to, you're going to learn from this and you're going to, you're going to ramp up your activities to try to make it better from what we've learned from this. And we, the other thing we've learned is that, um, and I'm so glad for this is that models don't do anything. Models are not science. This this constant calling in the name of science, what we're doing is just, they have to stop it. The, the models are just sort of, they're almost like putting, you know, it's like putting your finger up if you're a sailor and going, which way the wind's blowing. It doesn't mean you got nowhere it's gonna blow in an hour. I, I, I would give it a, just slightly more usefulness yeah. which is it could tell you the range of what's not crazy right right but that's all it could, that's in such a big range but it does tell you that you know you've run all the numbers in every way you can and you, you can't get it up to here right like you can't get it to 10 million dead no matter what you do right that's useful but it doesn't tell you it's going to be 973,642 uh, right so so when you see things carried out to beyond two digits frankly you know immediately that's that is rhetoric that is somebody trying to manipulate you uh i, I yeah. what did i see oh 
this uh, st- study that said if we just shut down one week earlier, we would have saved 10,473 lives. Okay, that's bullshit. Yeah, and, and, and don't get me started about trying to compare one leader to another or country to another. Right. They're just fundamentally completely different. And if you don't trust me, and I do this work, we may mention that later, but you know, it's something that I actually know a lot about. Ask somebody that you trust who does you know, data analysis for a living, they really understand statistics, and ask them to compare two countries, any countries, and see if you have enough to really make any kind of determination. Right. Someday, maybe we can you know, tease that with something after the fact. But I'll tell you what you can't do is look at all different strategies in the middle of the, I'm gonna call it a game just for reference, it's not yeah. a game. But you don't know if the rope-a-dope is the one that comes strong at the end. You don't know if the people who preserve the economy get a gigantic payoff that's you know 10 to 20 years of extra market dominance that they wouldn't have had you know, compared to the other economies who got maybe a little more crushed. So there's just no way to evaluate this stuff. Right. And, and so many variables, so many untoward consequences. For instance, I love the model of stopping, you know, if we'd only shut down 10 days earlier. If we shut down 10 days earlier, there would have been no South Carolina primary and Bernie would be your Democratic candidate. Is that good? Wow. It, wow. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, the unintended consequences, the uh, yeah, they're, they're yeah. just too many. And, and that's to know a, what's good a, and what's bad. As a clinician, I'm very accustomed to thinking that way. It's all we constantly do. We're always like, OK, we're going to do this aggressive thing. What are the potential downsides and how do we prepare for it? When I was teaching residents, that was always what I slammed them for. I said, I make your mistakes but have your backup plan know where you're going i will never i'll never fault you for making a mistake but if you don't know what to do next because of that mistake or because of untoward consequence then I'll, then i'm going to slam you uh and yeah, that's medicine I look, at, I look at the performance of all the leaders like somebody just you know dropped a bag of marbles you know on the on the ground and some of some rolled in some directions randomly somebody was going to get a better result right but everybody was guessing they were all guessing initially because the data was terrible. The model, you know, just just there was no real information to make real decisions. We didn't know what meds worked. We didn't know when we'd have meds. Right. We didn't know how bad the economy would be. Nobody really crushed an economy intentionally. We didn't know what that was going to look like. Right. Is that good? Is that bad? Yeah. We didn't know the herd immunity. We didn't know anything. Right. So on day one, you know, it, early on, I was saying publicly and often, Someday you're going to look back and say somebody made mistakes or didn't, and you're just going to be wrong because right. if you were there, there wasn't anything to know. It's great to have hindsight. Hey, you're a genius now looking back at the past. That's right. But uh, it's just not fair. I, I remember when uh, our governor of California, and by the way, Susan, I, I think I'm on your show's call in studio, so I can't get in. Okay. So I, I just can't get in. I'll set it up. Yeah. Um, but when our governor shut down, uh the state i thought it was a gross excess but i thought to myself all right we don't know it's the fog of war he's preparing for worst case i i don't know how i'd make that decision in that moment so i'm going to support the guy so that was my feeling at the moment right right and and he gave the um he gave the option of adjusting yeah we'll try this we'll pull back try it pull back and as long as your leader is is testing they're transparent they're telling you what they're going to do telling you why they're going to do it. Yeah. And they say, if this doesn't work, we, this is how we adjust. 
that's sort of as good as you can do. And I would say that about, you know, most of the governors, blue or red has nothing to do with that's right. politics. I agree with you. Uh, the, um, the other thing I think, I do a nightly news program on Fox 11, local affiliate here, and we're dealing with politicians a lot. And I think the other thing, the other, other unto- uh, beneficial effect of coronavirus that we may not see yet is that politicians have learned who pay their bills. I feel like they they learned they learned that oh, oh my they're they're literally all astonished that their tax base is sort of reduced, is dried up. They're like, what? where's the where you have any mo- where's the money? Oh, and and I literally had one politician tell me with a straight face, well, we have a fifty six billion dollar deficit and we can't print money, so we got to get the federal government to print the money and give it to us. So just print it up and give it to us. I was like, oh my god, you're, you're a leader. You're a budget in the budget committee of the state. Oh my god, I hope you learned the lesson from this. But, you know, the thing that nobody quite understands, and I'm including myself in this, and I've got, you know, a degree in economics, is that can you just print money? Now, ordinarily, no, it would be Mm -hmm. hugely inflationary. Mm -hmm. But in this weird, weird situation, that's not like any other situation, demand has just fallen through the the floor. And under that condition, maybe you can print a lot of money and sort of get away with it, or at least it's the best thing you can do. So the the whole issue of printing money goes from the worst idea to the best idea just by the situation. And, and it's happening worldwide, and nobody's ever seen that before. So who knows what that's going to do? I mean, hopefully we'll just restart in a different place. A friend of mine framed it this morning for me rather interesting. He said it, it's like building a bridge. Don't think it's not so much a, a currency issue as much as building a bridge or a time machine. It's going to move us forward to where we can resume. You know what you're saying? Uh, I, yes, I, I heard that. Uh, the The notion is that it's, it's sped up all the things that were going to evolve that way anyway. We just had to right. get there faster. But I'm wondering now with the, the printing of money, it, it is certain and inevitable that we'll go to digital money. Mm. Just when and how, what's the transition look like? And it might be... And I'd have to talk to somebody a lot smarter. So this might be just crazy talk right now. But hey, you're used to that. You've heard me before. Yes. Um, I'm wondering if the transition to an all digital, let's say a crypto kind of a thing, might be the point where you could extinguish your debt. <laughs> you, you might be able to wipe it out if you were, if you were clever. Now, I'm not positive that works, but the, nat- the nature of the crypto is that it's demand-based and, you know, you- you've got lots of flexibility about what it's, what it's worth, et cetera. So maybe there's just a way to extinguish it. It's interesting to me. I- I've-, I've had this feeling that something about this is going to create a- I'm sorry, I'm reconnecting a new computer here as we talked here because my computer wasn't getting the call-in studio I needed. But... Um, going to create an efficiency that might do these these seemingly impossible things like that well i want to here's the deal i want to get into the shit storm you've been in the middle of today if you don't mind uh today you've tried very hard to get canceled uh if you do get canceled we will all find you over at locals is that accurate uh, correct yes locals.com and just look for me by name okay so locals.com if scott disappears um he's been trying hard to get canceled by being honest and provocative um but let's let's open the conversation by taking a call is that cool with you sure all right this is danny go ahead danny hey there thanks for taking my call you bet. um my question was about i, I want to know what your thoughts are on states banning hydroxychloroquine and I guess in particular, I was reading an article about Ohio banning it, and I guess they might have reversed that ban. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd like to kind of hear your thoughts on that. All right. So let's frame it as such. Thank you, Danny. Great question. Uh, the thing that I find so astonishing about this whole situation, and it, and the reason I got in trouble, Scott, is I saw this coming. I, I saw it. I, I was the reason I kept got so vocal at the beginning about trying to regulate everyone's emotion and trying. I was trying to push back on what I saw was a tsunami of hysterical panic porn press. And my fear was they were going to adulterate medicine. Uh, I just kept saying, just listen to Fauci. Just, just that's where you go. Read the CDC. That's it. And then listen to your doctor, you and your doctor. You'll figure this out. The way we did with the H1N1 epidemic is what I kept saying, which affected a billion people and killed 600,000 people. And you don't even know what happened. So, you know, relax, calm, calm yourself and, and listen to Fauci. He'll get us through this. Well, I was condemned for that, and, I, and, I, and my rhetoric was excessive, I, I, and I apologize for that. But here we are now where physicians are unable to prescribe a medicine that I've literally prescribed a thousand doses of, and I've never seen a single side effect. I cannot say that of aspirin or Tylenol, but I can say that of Plaquenil, you now know as hydroxychloroquine. And lawmakers are getting involved with my relationship with my patient and my ability to prescribe a medication that I the patient and I together might be appropriate, you take it. There, there does seem to be a difference between what an organization can handle as their risk, both political risk and, you know, how the public sees them, and what a doctor and a patient would do, which is just take, make a risk management decision, right. which is independent of what anybody thinks of it. Right. The privacy of the doctor-patient relationship gives you flexibility that an organization, I, somebody told me that my healthcare provider, Kaiser Permanente, that they don't allow a hydroxychloroquine for this particular use for the coronavirus. I don't know if that's true, but it would make sense to me that an organization would be cautious in, in a different way because they have a different yeah. set of concerns. Yeah, the liability is different. Standards are different. Uh, they, they have sort of uh, standards of practice and stuff. Yeah, I get that. I get that. Yeah, yeah, I agree with and, you. And, I was trying to uh, guess how many doctors worldwide who are real doctors in other countries. I, I know a lot of Americans are surprised, but pe- uh, the doctors in other countries, they have medical degrees. What? They can, go- what? They can, go- they can Google stuff. <laughs> They're real doctors. Really. Crazy. And uh, what, how many would you guess? And of all the doctors in the world, I don't know how many millions there might be. What would be the total number, do you think, that would prescribe hydroxychloroquine for the coronavirus purpose? It's hard to tell because everyone's afraid to speak up. Uh, uh, Dr. Oz and I went public. I have prescribed it for coronavirus to good effect, I suspect. Uh, He and I both agreed if we developed a fever, we would take it with zinc. Um, and, And that's as far as we sort of went. So there's two doctors' opinions. It's over the counter in in many countries. It's so safe that it's literally over the counter. But there are a number of, you know, first world countries, are there not, who are uh, prescribing it routinely? Yes. And it's part of their part of their national, the national directive of what's okay and what's not okay. Yes, there are. And so at at the very least, CNN, which is a national program should say yeah if you look at the whole world they have doctors too yeah and and they think it's okay right and they're real doctors right you know, they're... so what happened to you today so <laughs> i uh 
I have the weirdest life. This is why sometimes I think I'm in a, a software simulation. Because <laughs> my life is like a like a like a game with levels that I have to defeat. <laughs> so I, I'm just I'm just minding my own business this morning. You know, I'm getting my second cup of coffee. I'm like, I think I'll see what's on the news. And I open up the news. And I'm on the news. I'm like, no, I want to watch the news. I want to be the observer. I want to be here. I want you to be the news. You be the news. I'll watch. No, I don't want to be the news. And what happened was Peter Navarro was on Aaron Burnett's show on CNN. And they got into it on hydroxychloroquine. But, of course, you know, on TV, you got crosstalk and, you know, misinformation and everything. So Peter Navarro couldn't quite get out the risk management argument, mm -hmm. which is the argument that I think he would prefer. Mm -hmm. So instead, he, he referred to me by name and said, do you know Scott Adams? You should watch <laughs> the video he made in which... <laughs> now, now, here's the part that got me in trouble. If that's all you hear, and Aaron Burnett, you know, uh, quickly uh, corrected him to, to say that I'm a cartoonist and you shouldn't get medical advice from a cartoonist, but... That, of course, is fake news Right. because I've never offered medical advice. I would never offer medical advice. Right. I practically say it as a mantra when I talk about this. Yes. This is no medical advice. Yes. And, and, and moreover, I don't have a firm opinion on whether hydroxychloroquine even works. Right. You've been very, right. uh, and, and you said 50% probability that, that we'll find out something good. That's sort of all you've ever said. 50 50-50, yeah. based on the fact that it's true that the most... Uh, the most rigorous studies mm -hmm. say it doesn't work, yep. but it's also true, this is the part they leave out, that all the studies where there was a rigorous, good study studied the wrong application of the drug. Wrong application. And that's and, well known. And, and wrong drugs. That's well known. And, and wrong drugs. And the wrong drug. Yeah. So, so let's right. let me let me frame for everyone what we do know. And and by the way, I am changing and adapting my opinion as the literature comes in. As of before, yesterday morning, I had a, I was sort of inclined to think that hydroxychloroquine might be a good prophylactic agent. The literature that came out in the New England Journal of Medicine yesterday showed pretty clearly it's not a good prophylactic agent. Now the study was done without zinc, which is thought to be the active agent. Let's say this very clearly. Studies without zinc are non -stu not studying the treatment. They're studying something else, uh, whether hydroxychloroquine right. would work by itself. But nobody's advocating for that. Everyone who advocates hydroxychloroquine has said zinc is the active ingredient, and they leave that out. Crazy. Okay. So, right. but, I'm, but I'm still prepared to accept that it's probably not a good prophylactic agent. There's some good, really good studies, about five studies on hospitalized patients, sick patients. Now, let's talk about it. When people get to the hospital, they're into the next phase of the illness, typically. The first phase is the viral replication. The second phase is the cytokine activation. Once you get to the hospital, if you're having resolved your viral replication and now you're into the cytokine storm, there is no expectation that this treatment will work. So they studied that. It didn't work. Okay. Without zinc, by the way. Without zinc. We still have not answered the question. And here's the here's the here's what somebody's got to do: a randomized placebo-controlled study, an RP uh, RPS, randomized placebo-controlled or RPC study rather, RPC study on early disease, first three days, when the viral replication is doing its thing, zinc at at least 25 milligrams, hydroxychloroquine, unclear on the dosing, at least. 400 milligrams at the beginning, 200 maybe there after that, maybe more, 400 milligrams. More than that, 
I don't know. That's now you're looking at big dose stuff. I don't know, but let's say two four hundred begin with maybe two. I'm thinking two hundred after that, and then the azithromycin. And I, I'm less, you know, sort of enhanced. I don't think the azithromycin is doing very much, but it's been part of the protocol. And let's remind ourselves that in 2005 there was a very fine article published. I believe it was Vi Journal of Virology that a one Anthony Fauci championed that that hydroxychloroquine i think it was actually a chloroquine study chloroquine was a excellent treatment and he went public with this for sars coronavirus one are you aware of that but study without, but but without a rpt right uh without the with the, without a gold standard trial because in 2005 in real people it, it, yeah, i think i think it was largely based on mm, it was based on reduced viral shedding if I remember the study correctly, it, it was it was again not a placebo controlled study. It was more like, hey, we can really reduce the viral shedding in people. Let's use this. This looks great. That was that was the application. But, but to be fair, Fauci says today that the only reliable one would not include his own study because it was a, a lower yes, quality correct. study. That is correct. It was an observational so, so study. Said, yeah. So, 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 so on Twitter, on Twitter, people are frying him for being inconsistent because mm -hmm. he used to say it works and now he doesn't. Yeah. But I would, I would, I would say that he's very specific. Oh, he's very, he is. Cool. I've known I, the re, Scott. The reason I got on the radio was because of Anthony Fauci, and yeah, I was, I was an accolade of his in the AIDS epidemic, and he was saying we got to get out and educate. We're going to have ten million dead. He, he's, he's a little, he has a rhetorical flair, but he is very careful with, with, with the science. I mean, he's exquisite. So I know you can always rely on him. When people are critical of him, I, I know there's something in it that's accurate, even if it seems like he's flip-flopping. Let me ask you this. I yeah. saw somebody uh, look, look to see how many hydroxychloroquine trials are still in some kind of process. Okay. Now, according to CNN, we already know it won't work. Are there 117 trials in which they haven't seen CNN? And they're like... If only we'd seen CNN, well, Scott, we would know we could cancel this trial because it's got to be expensive, yeah. right? And first of all, saves the money. How dare you? It's a first-rate killer. It's going to kill people. Ask <laughs> Ask Joy Behar. I heard, I heard her screaming at a senator that, "How could your doctor do that?" Joy Behar, I want you to think about this. And and I love Joy. I've known her for many many years. But here's a talk show host who learned how to pronounce a medication two weeks prior, a medicine I've been using for thirty years, and she has an opinion about it. That's insane, everybody. That's that's the nuttiness of the world we're in. Would you agree? Uh, yeah, and you know, just to defend myself a little bit, uh, when I talk about it, I only talk about the risk management, and I just point to the fact that there's uncertainty and, yeah. and low risk, low cost. Yeah, might work. Right. So that so let's state so that. So that's that is my diathesis that I rely on, which is if somebody has a fever, let's say they have a high risk exposure and they get fever. I have nothing to offer them except this possible treatment that cost about a buck fifty, and no one benefits it, from it. No it, one profits. What's that? And it, and it would take you two days to confirm a, a test confirm the virus. Yeah, right? at least. I mean, if you're lucky, yeah. you get a turnaround. And so we have a couple of days where no harm, no foul, no cost. The cost benefit analysis come down. And, and by the way, thirty years of experience using the drug comes down very hard in favor of doing it now it, it may do nothing but i don't believe i will have in any way and i've done it I've, I've actually done it in clinical practice uh so i'm not harming anybody with it in the hospitalized patient different story 
different story, different thing. I understand that. It's it's still, a, you know, it's not conclusive in hospitalized patients, but I think a consensus is there. That's fine. But this rhetoric around it's dangerous. You got to have an EKG. If you ever, and by the way, Scott, l- watch this. If you ever hear a doctor say you need to have an EKG or be monitored, they've never prescribed the medicine. They've never prescribed this right. medication. Because, because here's what here's what we would do. Because I, I, I used to, it was first line medication for lupus and rheumatoid arthritis back like 30, 40 years ago. And I used to prescribe it a lot then. And we would tell the patient, hey, after a year, see an ophthalmologist. There can be corneal deposits and there can be you know, this 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 uh, retinal thing. But uh, don't worry. It's really after 10 years. And just, just do me a favor. Do you see the ophthalmologist every year? And that's it. <laughs> that's all we would tell people. Now, we might get an EKG to begin with because of some of the... Um, the, the, the concerns we have about chloroquine, which is not hydroxychloroquine, and let's remind ourselves, chloroquine is the malaria medication used throughout the world, over-the-counter in most malaria countries, which I've prescribed also hundreds of times, hundreds of doses, and that's a little more of a substantial medication, and you, you think about EKGs and things with chloroquine, and you might thereby go, eh, maybe with the hydroxychloroquine, I'll get an EKG, make sure there's not a QT prolongation, just to kind of cover my ass, not that I really think it's anything. Most of the time, after years of doing it, I don't think I ever got EKGs on people because it never happened. So the the thing that doctors and economists and Peter Navarro and and my own background have in common is that we're dealing with trade-offs and risk management all the time. Yes. And And when the journalists talk about it, they're still treating it like it's a medical decision exclusively and it and it really isn't. This is the one situation in which the medical stuff is known as much as we know now, which is looks like it's safe, and we don't quite know if it works. Right. <laughs> like everybody agrees, every pretty much every doctor would agree with those two. Well, well, except except the guys that they get on MSNBC and CNN who start chanting about its dangers, and I'm like, okay, well, I know for sure you've never prescribed it. I, I, you're a surgeon or something, and never had to deal with rheumatic disease. I, I, I'm I'm 100 positive because when you talk to rheumatologists, oh. they go, oh, I've used it a million times, never had a problem. Let, let me ask you this: the um, the Nigerian doctor who caused all the you know the trouble recently with her uh, recent uh, promotion of hydroxychloroquine. Yeah, she. I, I understand she's a pediatrician, but also an emergency room physician. Okay. And I wanted to, I wanted to ask somebody who actually knows that world: if you're an emergency room p- physician and a pediatrician, mm-hmm. are, would that imply that you you get all the kids? If a kid comes uh, sometimes, in, you're more likely to get the kid. Sometimes, well, you can have boards. You, these days, if you're going to work in an ER, you have to be board certified in ER. So my suspicion is she has some some specialization in pediatric ER because they could really use her in the ER for the pediatric cases. It's sort of a subspecialization of pediatrics. It's easy for a pediatrician to get that sort of. Well, it's not a leap for them to get that certification. What sometimes happens is. Uh, a doctor works in like an urgent, even though they're a pediatrician, they will still occasionally work in like an urgent care or a walk-in ER or something where there's more general medical stuff coming in. That used to happen a lot. That's kind of rare these days. I, I, I suspect she has more, more pediatric ER like you're thinking. Uh, the only reason I ask is because if somebody says I gave it to 400 patients and they did well, I, ca- I kind of want to know how old? Oh, no, she's going to, that's adult. It's adult. That's going to be adult. So she must also, she, I wonder, you know, again, 
you, you got to you're, you're doing the right thing. You got to ask people's training. Maybe she was a family practitioner to begin with, and then subspecialized in pediatrics. And they may, you know, you know the, this language is used very loosely in medicine. Well, it, by the press about doctors, and we always have lots of questions like this. So exactly, what is your training? And uh, weirdly, the journalist never asked that. Weirdly, yeah, I wasn't wasn't so interested in her training as the the age of her average patient because yeah. that would be relevant it can't be it can't be pediatric age I, I this is an adult treatment um and by the way let me say people are asking about quercetin um so i interviewed dr zelenko and you can find that interview uh susan what on youtube mm-hmm. on youtube uh and he is advocating a treatment of quercetin which acts it's an over-the-counter substance that acts like hydroxychloroquine to get zinc into cells so he's asking he's people are asking if, if susan and i are taking it and we are taking it there's not enough data for me to say as a doctor you should take it, but I I can tell you that I'm taking it. It's 500 milligrams of quercetin, and originally he said 50 milligrams of zinc. Now he's saying 25 milligrams of zinc. I think it's probably because the 50 causes a lot of nausea, um, and 25 is probably adequate. Adequate. Somebody's saying that Dr. Stella has an emergency care office in the same strip mall as her church. Huh. That's interesting, right? That covers all bases. Yeah, <laughs> right. It's like, wow. Put, put a mortuary next door. <laughs> got it all. Uh, okay. Uh, this is an interesting question. I'm going to take. Uh, have we have we done the hydroxychloroquine? Have we have we hammered that out enough? Do you think? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Sure. I think we have. I'm I'm getting tired of the topic. I, I, but oh, I, oh wait, one more thing. Oh yeah, one more thing. I just ha- I, your your listeners have to hear this. Yeah. So the articles, which of course piled on to me mm. after CNN uh, the story and Peter Navarro said go look at the Scott Adams video, the articles did not include a link to the video. Just try to imagine that it was a, such a story that they had to rush the press, the yeah. Daily Beast, the Hill, yeah. you know, a few others. And the whole story is that he said, go look at this video, which they mocked me, and they don't put a link to the video? That drives me crazy. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. It, and and it, it just so obviously they're suppressing a point of view that it's it's laughable at this point at, at one point you did say i think yesterday that cnn is causing deaths i'm surprised they didn't go after that statement do you remember that one the, the, that was the video that uh peter navarro pointed oh that's it okay all right okay so the title votes they may have killed hundreds of thousands <laughs> okay he it, what scott was well what he was saying was he's just saying look i'm not saying they're killers but i'm just let's do a statistical analysis if these all these countries are using hydroxychloroquine and it's working and saving lives you can easily conclude that people that that caused a panic that were either prevented or pulled people away from the treatment by some means those people may have caused directly thousands of deaths right yeah it's 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 not hyperbole yeah there there are only two possibilities this stuff works or it doesn't and we don't know the answer right right. if it does work we've got a lot of explaining to do if it doesn't well I doubt that will happen. I doubt that will happen. But uh, all right, let's get to another call here. And we're going to sort of go down the vaccine uh, trail a bit. Go ahead there, Philip. Hi, Scott. Hi, Dr. Drew. Philip. Um, I have a quick question, uh, Dr. Drew. Uh, Looking to the future, when the actual uh, vaccines come out, would you predict that the media will shift their stance to questioning the efficacy or of the vaccine or will they um, 
relay that to the professionals to say it's effective and therefore we stand by it? It's a great question. It's another great question. And, and uh, thank you. Thank you, Philip. Um, or will they highlight uh, side effects or will they over, who knows I, I i'll predict that whatever they say before the election will be different than after the election would you agree with that at least yeah uh, i think that's fair to say um but you know they're they're going to want to uh, hold trump accountable for anybody who dies you know within six months of a vaccine for any reason uh, you know you're, the the anecdotal uh, reports will be wild let let me let me float a thought to you and you see if this is um consistent and so so one of the reasons i like listening to your periscope every morning is you have a way of predicting the future and it helps calm me down <laughs> so you calm me down um and i i've gotten a sense of who trump is and how he behaves and i thought to myself hmm wouldn't it be classic donald trump if he were to really slam through this vaccine early somehow and get it out like the third or fourth week of october have the military distributed and then have a huge party of success going into the elections doesn't that sound like him <laughs> yeah but you know th that's really dangerous because it is it feels I know. like it's rushed yeah if it feels like it's rushed he's done i i, I, mean, I agree that, that's very dangerous that but but it feels a, like him to do something fatal. like it feels like him to do something like that though if, if there's a i don't know it just it just occurred to me because i think we're going to have it in november for healthcare providers um meaning that you would th there would be enough testing done by them that it would be safe for I, you guys i i have signed up for the to be on i've signed up for two clinical trials to be in the phase three of the vaccine i want to be a human subject because a i can't get this thing fast enough and b um, I want to push to help push the science forward. I want to be part of the process. And everyone I've talked to at these trials are like, oh, you know, by you, you don't have to be that enthusiastic because it is so efficacious that we don't think people are going to be able to withstand the, the ethics of keeping a placebo going. This thing will get opened up quick. Have you heard of, I wish I had more information, but there's a, uh, Tony Robbins is an investor in one company that's got, got a vaccine that's some kind of a synthetic version, hmm. whereas all of the other ones are you're growing something in an egg and something's alive, and the, and the risk of something going wrong with anything alive yeah. is pretty big. Yeah, yeah, so it's, it's a, a constructed protein. I, I, I don't, I'm not aware of what this is, but I know of the thinking, which is the spike proteins are very stable and we know a lot about them. And, you can and that's part of what the immune system is reacting to, so you can construct those spike proteins. That makes sense. Yeah, I think the idea is that the organic one can come in, you know, yeah. one one doorway, yeah. but the synthetic can come in all the doorways and also doesn't have the biological risk in theory. Who knows? And they and they also have an ability because it's synthetic, they could crank up much faster. Yes, that, so, that makes sense to me. I, I don't know. What, you know, I don't know what to believe and not to believe because you know you just hear one side's claim yeah. and it has no credibility whatsoever yeah. because it's one side and they're selling something. Right. But on but on the surface, on the surface, what I heard was if this works, it's big. Well, keep in mind, part of the strategy is to find a cheaper uh, version so there can be really worldwide, cheaper, faster for worldwide distribution. That's one of the strategies here too. Um, do you agree I, I was thinking about you know this little story we just went through and we've just talked about so many we've in the last 15 minutes we've talked about so many misreports distortions 
lies, not doing your homework by journalists. Should they call themselves a profession anymore? You know, I, I talk about in my book, Loser Think, that if you haven't had exposure to different domains, different fields, such as, let's say, economics or history or whatever, that you have, you have a blind spot that you're not aware of. And it's the not being aware of your own blind spot that's the problem. Now, if you take journalists, they tend to be high IQ people mm-hmm. with, a fair, with a fairly narrow range of experience, which is you know, what they're doing. And if you're smart and you have a narrow range, you're really dangerous because you don't know what you don't know. And you're smart, right? Right. If you're smart, how hard could it be? But listen to see if you can find one journalist who's just a journalist, not somebody who's a business person or an economist who became a journalist, but just a journalist who says, you know, we've got the deaths from the economy and we've got the deaths from this. And there's really no way to know which one is going to be more until the end. Right. If you hear a journalist say something that reasonable, maybe they have a more talent. But if they just say, oh, deaths, oh, deaths, that's all you hear. And that that sort of reveals the limits of their talents. Yeah, we are we are on track to have more deaths from delayed medical treatments, suicide, opiate addiction. We are on track than from COVID. So by word time we're done, that could well be the case. Yeah, when I thought we were only going to be closed for, you know, maybe four to six weeks in the very first, I thought, you know, we might actually come on ahead meaning that the fewer car accidents, right. it's, it's not so much time that people are going to get as much suicide in right. one month or so. Right. But man, you're right. You know, you, you reach a turning point and people are wigging out and it's not good. And, and you talk about, and I see it all the time. I, I'm, and, and then the, we don't even know yet the, the implications for eight year olds to 15 year olds where their whole developmental trajectory is being taken off offline. And, and I, you're, you're, um, phenomenon of the journalist uh, not having any i call that wisdom real experience and experiential learning they only have you know what they googled or what they've read about which is a different kind of learning and that's what fosters the dunning-kruger effect i feel like the dunning-kruger effect is everywhere now (laughs) well maybe it's been everywhere all the time but Mm -hmm. social media just you know emphasizes it (laughs) so the more the more dunning-kruger you are the more clicks you're going to get so there's probably a reason that uh, maybe you see it you know, the, the more outrageous you are the more you can drive uh, drive attention and that that's what peter navarro did when he called out my video i think he knew that that was going to get a lot of attention probably negative but if they looked at the video he wins right which was a really interesting play and actually quite quite smart who, who is peter navarro i don't think i know who he is economic advisor to the president got so, it uh, he he makes really the all the biggest decisions or advises on the biggest defi- decisions about trade deals but also do you open the economy how do you do it that sort of thing Interesting. So, he, so, so he's exactly the guy exactly the guy you want to make a risk management decision once the medical community said here's what we know and then he adds it to what he knows and then you've got a decision and if it's just one or the other you don't have anything it also sounds like he's a persuasion guy he kind of knows strategically how to do that well you got that right yeah (laughs) here's another call for you this is uh scott for scott go ahead scott hey guys hey man this is a question about persuasion is there any chance that biden's recent comments to the black community 
have been uh, persuasion, purposeful persuasion. So, so in other words, did Cialdini have something to do with it? Is that what you're asking, Scott? No. If uh, what I'm asking is, um, is Biden trying to bias the decisions of the black community through those comments? Ah. Okay, Scott. Well, well, persuasion is uh, not what people think it is. It's not just. Um, well, let, let me just say what it is. That that would be persuasion would be some unrelated uh, exposure to information biases you for this later piece of decision making in ways that you don't even know. Right. So, for example, maybe you saw something about somebody being kind to somebody else, and then unrelated, you're negotiating a deal. And then suddenly you find yourself being more generous because you got primed and you didn't know it. I hope I'm explaining it right. Uh, the, the book Persuasion does it better with, by Cialdini. Um, I, my read on Biden's comments about the black community are just, uh, it's just a mental challenge. I, I don't know the nice way to say it. There's something going on. It's obvious to everybody. I mean, we, we can stop pretending the Democrats don't see it. I mean, they're, they're practically begging to have no debates. So they see it. Um, and I don't think there's anything else to it. I think it's just that. I think Biden is clearly not a racist. But man, when you say stuff like he did today, like the, what do you say? The Hispanic community has lots of opinions, but not so much the black community. I'm no, they're like, diverse. They have diverse uh, elements or something. Yeah, they're diverse community. Yeah. You, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I feel know really bad for him. Saying, but, I, ugh, he, ugh. you know, there's uh, a real serious tell in terms of how he's doing neurologically, which is his gait. Watch his gait. Watch how he walks. He doesn't, he doesn't swing his arms. It's like his arms are at his side and he's just, he's kind of trying to move, but the, nothing, it's, it's not fluid and his arms don't swing. And that is a, a sign of something going quickly um, and concerning. And then the other is the flat affect, you know, the, and then the irritability to hear him go off on the uh, question yeah. about the uh, MOCA test, which is the Montreal cognitive test. Uh, and, and it jumped to something bizarre, which was cocaine addiction. <laughs> it was very weird. Was yeah. very and, and by the way, he got, he got fake news by the right. So the, the folks on the right said, uh, Joe Biden, you said that you've been tested a lot for your cognitive stuff. And now you say you've never been tested. Of course, when he first answered it, he meant in the in the context of doing his job. Yeah, I'm right. tested every day. Right, right, right. And and then you know Fox News turns that into a whole different yeah. thing. Yeah, I, I as someone that I as someone that's super independent, super moderate, I see the the excesses going on both sides. It it is not, you know, it's not exclusive to any any group. It, it seems to be a, a a function of time. The other thing, well, this is a whole different topic. But do you ever feel like people are treating? You, you were talking the other day about how you're treated in the public a couple of days ago. And I, I got, I started thinking about how they treat everyone that has a public life is treated like a cartoon character. It's like we're some sort of cartoon that people can, that aren't humans. You know what I mean? Um, not only do I know what you mean, but I know it from both sides because I, I know it from the, the receiving end. I'm like, really? These, do, the, do the, whoever just said this, they don't know that I can see their name. Right. right. So it's so it's weird. Not, it's like, what it's motivated like you to get, say that to somebody, yeah. right? Yeah. I'm not going to retaliate or anything, but would you say this in person? I right. mean, this is just so cruel. And then, you know, it'll be 20 minutes later and I'll be firing off this, you know, extra clever uh, tweet and I'll look at it and I think, well, I'm just being a jerk. <laughs> like, I, I didn't accomplish anything. Right. I didn't make the world better. 
Nobody, nobody learned anything. I'm just being a jerk. It's so easy because it it does feel like a game, and you really have to. Yeah, yep. You just slap yourself in the face every ten minutes on Twitter and say, "Real people. These are real people. Yeah, it really matters." I know. All right, let's take one more call. Um, Let's talk about this, and then I know you have to go, Scott, and get you out of here in less than five minutes. Uh, Brian, go ahead, Brian. Hey, it's uh, Brian Peterson here. Um, I'm just going to preface this by saying I'm a huge Scott Adams fan. Yes, I'm here. Scott Adams, uh, Dr. Drew, huge fan, Donald Trump fan, uh, enough of the uh, accolades. Anyway, my point is I feel that you guys are diverging away from Fauci. I just feel you don't support him. I don't understand why he seems like a science guy. Yeah, let, let like me. Let, I'll let Scott hang on, Brian. I'll let, or, hang, or, on, hang on. I'll, I'll, let, I'll let Scott speak. I, for I mean, I'm not trying to be a jerk. No, no, you're not being a jerk, Brian. I, I feel like you guys. Brian. I feel like no. you guys don't agree with Fauci. I just, I okay. feel I sense it. All know? right, so let's like, let's let's, let's answer I, that. I'm not trying to be a jerk, Brian. 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 Brian, we got it. <laughs> we get it. With, it's peace and love, peace and love. We All get right, it, my man. friend. We get it. We, we get what you're saying. Yes, yes. yes. I, I'm, I'm, I'm on your side. I Brian, just, relax, I, buddy. I, really, you were I, good. We're good. We were really good, Brian. <laughs> I love you, Brian. I do. <laughs> let, me, let me answer your question, yeah. Brian. Well, I, can't, I had to put um, him on hold. He was he was perseverating too much there. Go, go ahead. You, you can make it rhetorical. I, I would say that I'm pro-Fauci. Yeah. I, w- I would say that uh, um, pretty much everything except the face mask part, ah. um, he, he's, he's, he's acquitted himself well. And I actually forgive him for the face mask stuff, too, yeah. because there was a reason. So that reason he- was good. Now, he, he, uh, my understanding is they didn't want them to be hoarded because they wanted to keep them for the frontline people. Right. Which meant that I was making a sacrifice by you know having less information for the benefit of the frontline healthcare workers. Do I have a problem with that? No, no. Because if you'd asked me, that's exactly what it would have done. I would right. say, yeah, let, let those guys have it. Now, the fact that not everybody might have acted like I did, because I, you know, I can self, I have the luxury of being able to self-quarantine, et cetera. But I don't know that everybody would have done that. And, and he had his priority completely right. Yes. Now, historians will say, well, you should have told us the truth anyway. And I think that's going to be an open question. So I'm going to give him that one. So, so let me, I let me, that. I'm going to even, let me modify even, Scott, I think you'll like this even a little more. Um, he, he qualified his concerns about the masks before this vac, before this virus. Do you remember at the beginning how concerned we were about hands and, and surfaces? Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. That was because we didn't yet know the primary means of transmission of the virus. Throughout mm-hmm. my training, I was always taught the hands are the main means of transmission of viruses. So he always well, wait, said. Only, but only because something came out of somebody's mouth. Um, there's a lot, there's a, there were famous studies about people playing cards and we, we were, we were fueled with a lot of data about hands in our training. Let me just put it that way, where it came from and how it got to our hands is a thing. But, but he, but he always made a point of saying, I don't want people's hands going to their face and messing with a mask. You got it. You got to pay attention to it. He's so exquisitely careful with everything he says, Mm. but he, he, he said, I don't want those hands going to the face. And 
We did not know that cloth masks worked until the MIT study, which was a month into the into the whole pandemic. That was what turned everything. Availability of masks, cloth, cloth mask works, primary transmission, not the hands. That's when he shifted his opinion. So he had lots of reasons to have the opinion that he had, in spite of the fact that they knew it worked in 1918. There, I'm doing a lot of research on 1918. There were mask laws. There was all kinds of mask stuff. Same exact rhetoric you're hearing now was going on in 1918, and they worked in 1918 as well. Isn't that interesting? Can we can we even know that though? Can, that, that it worked. Can we know in in 1918. Do we know that? I we mean, know, I'd like to think it did. We know that nurses that wore cloth masks didn't get the virus. We know that for sure. And we know that cities that clamp down Wait, a, wait. Wait, that doesn't count because why? the use of the cl- the cloth mask is so that the the person who has it is not exhaling. They're they're not even intended to prevent. N- not then. Am I wrong about no, that? No, not then. They they were trying to they were the nurses wearing the mask and not getting the illness. They didn't know to put it on everybody on the on the patients yet. The patients still didn't wear the mask. Interesting. Uh, and okay. cities that cities that had stringent mask laws did better. They did better. Now coincidence, whatever. No art. There's no randomized placebo-controlled studies. We'll never know for sure, right? But the right. evidence suggests that they, there were some very strong opinions about masks back in those days. But the fascinating thing is the the craziness around it was exactly the same as today. It's a constitutional overreach. They can't tell me what to do. It's a muzzle. You know, the same stuff. Exact same stuff. Here we are today. Scott, I know you have to go. I'm going to keep taking calls. I appreciate you being here. It's always a thrill to talk to you. You help me, even just in conversation, calm down. And I hope it helped other people as well. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. This is fun. Yeah. And at Scott Scott Adams says, and look for his Periscope every morning. It'll it'll, uh, entertain and... I think it's therapeutic in some for some of us, so I, I hope you'll use it accordingly. Uh, and there's, of course, the book, Loser Think. That is my alarm to let Scott go. I'm on time. Uh, Scott, I will see you tomorrow morning. You won't see me, but I'll right. see you. Okay. See Take you care. Good luck. <laughs> uh, and let us take some calls now. We've got a bunch of calls on hold here. I, I was too enthralled with talking to Scott. I know. Too. You have a super chat, too. What was the question on the super chat? Okay. I did see somebody saying he was having trouble with alcohol yeah. um, uh, and he was asking whether it should be outpatient or inpatient. Here's the general thing. Um, if you drink on a daily basis and you have any withdrawal symptoms in the morning, you can get into serious trouble by, uh, oh, he's on the phone also? Taylor says he's on the phone. Yes. Uh, how would I find him? I can't scroll. On, oh, there he is. I see him right now. Is, is that Rick? Yeah. All right, let's yeah. talk to Rick. I'll get, it, I'll get him in here uh rick i saw your super chat thank you for calling i started to talk about you but then i saw you were there so let's get into it what's going on rick how you doing man i'm good man how are you oh my gosh you are an idol to me oh well let me see hopefully i can help let's get at it i i i don't want to i don't want to spend yeah i don't want to spend a lot of your time but i've watched you grow up from the age of 14 and i'm 34 so i've watched you um my question is can you hear me i got you i'm listening okay i'm sorry i'm sorry um my question is so um i've been drinking beer okay Mm -hmm. every single day Mm -hmm. i've been drinking beer so i'm drinking like 
two four packs okay. a day, and that's after work. So that's three o'clock. Okay. And I've been doing this for so long, I don't even remember the date. And watching you and you talking on the couple things, talking about outpatient, inpatient, mm-hmm. and you were talking about comes with withdrawal with forty eight to seventy two hours. Yeah, yeah. And should it be in a me- should it be in a medical setting? Right. And um, okay, so social Rick, anxiety disorder okay. uh, kind of scares me. Okay, Rick. So so here's the deal. Uh, a lot of that social all anxiety right. may actually be withdrawal. So all anxiety gets worse when you're drinking. H- how is it during the day? Do you have the shakes? No. Okay. So you're you're having no withdrawal symptoms. Uh, you're at, at, at a lot of beer. It's uh, I I think you can yeah. I think you can do this. You at least can give it a shot without formal treatment at this point. You do need to see your doctor before you stop drinking to see if there's anything, you know, you should be doing or that they can give you to help you with any withdrawal symptoms you have. But that can be managed as an outpatient. And then you should start going to AA meetings like right away, even before you stop drinking. You should just go right away to meetings. And I know I know it makes you anxious. I know it's difficult. You can just look online. They will pick you up. They'll come and get you. Uh, Are there meetings right now, or does it have to? Oh crap! There's Zoom meetings. Oh my God! No, there's me. There, there is meetings. No, there is meetings. Okay, good. And I've been to two of them. Oh, good for you, man. So, Ricky, I got this feeling that you're motivated, and and it takes work. I'm just stuck at home. I know this is what's going on right now. Is people are stuck. They're depressed. They can't get. It's just this COVID thing is killing people. But but go to meetings. Go to meetings. Get some phone numbers. Find some winners there and hang out with them. They want to help you. And then and then talk to your doctor. I, I don't know if that fit. You may have to try a couple of times. It's not like it's a straight line to success, man. You may have to really kind of, it may right. be, you know, it's hard. It's really hard. And, and you may need yeah. some more formal treatment. And again, once you hook in with your doctor, hopefully he or she can kind of monitor you and make that decision for you. But people do it all the time right. without treatment. And you strike me as somebody who's yep. motivated, man. You're motivated. You want to do this. I am. I am. Yeah, I hear it. And and honestly, I think I think it's because of you, bro. Well, it, 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 me because or not, you, let, you, let make, me, you you like talk what it is. You don't give the runaround. You tell what it is, and I think it's because of you. Well, then, then, this then, then you do uh, on my behalf. Let me reach out and shake your hand and pull you over to a meeting. We call that the warm handshake. Get some and take and take that handshake and okay. hand it off to somebody else at the meetings. Let those people. All right. I, I, I'm. I'm. I'm trying to think of ways to motivate you. Uh, so, <laughs> so my so my words ring in your I head. But I, I think what I'll say is no. You, you're here's what it is. I have faith in you. You seem to have an unusual degree of motivation. Go do it, okay? Yeah. All right, man? Okay, can I ask you one more question? Yeah, buddy. What is the difference from alcohol and people smoking cigarettes or people drinking energy drinks? All very different things. Uh, and the the energy drinks... What is the difference? Energy drinks aren't going to kill you. That's, that they, They're not good for you, but they're not going to kill you. And that's really... Um, Caffeine is the primary thing there. Tobacco is going to kill you. 
And uh, people have varying opinions about when to try to get at you with the tobacco. I mean, if we were working together, I would start to talk about it right away. But I would be more focused on getting you engaged with the alcohol because that's what you're ready for right now. You got to be ready, just like a diet or anything else. It's got to be on you. You got to think about it, plan for it, do it, get a sponsor, get phone numbers, and work the steps. No sponsor, no treatment. So go get a sponsor, work the steps. And uh, let my faith in you perhaps motivate you a little bit more than the motivation uh, you already have. Thank you, buddy. Good luck, Rick. Uh, Ashley. Dr. Drew, you live. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe I'm talking to you. What's going on? You are a legend, little president. I I stumbled upon that episode by accident, and I... That was incredible. You did a great job. You're a great actor, but that was awesome. Here we are. Okay, so I noticed after devouring many, many hours of Loveline on the archives that the way you understand an addict's brain is just unreal. Like, I've never seen that from somebody who's not an addict. And I just wondered, like, I've seen our intervention, like, a lot of the interventionists were addicts themselves. So what led you to want to be in the, the addiction community? So you just get it. It's, it's, you just yeah, get it. That's a very astute observation, a very astute question, uh, question because all, all of my peers, you know, I, I surround myself with recovering people in the treatment field. And they all say the same thing. And they're like, dude, are you sure? How do you know this so well? And, and I, I just have, yeah. I have kind of a knack for it. I uh, have been in, I've been saturated with it for 30 years in terms of treating people. I've seen it across many different incarnations. I'm, I've seen all the different fads of treatment come and go. And I've been there as the biology got sorted out. And so I paid careful attention to that. I just, yeah, I just know what it is. I just know it intimately and I know what it needs. And I actually went to therapy myself. One of the reasons, one of the reasons I went to therapy is I knew I needed to be a better instrument for addicts in terms of the patients I was treating. And so I, mm-hmm. I, use that also a way of tuning myself to what was going on. And it, it really, it made a huge difference. It really took me about 10 years to get really good at it. Uh, I was probably in it for five years before I really even understood what it was and about 10 years to get really, really skilled at it. it takes a long time. And it was an accident. Yeah. It was an accident. That's I, interesting you say you knew what it was. It was just an accident. I just liked the you. Know, I liked you, hanging around everyone. I yeah. like the the richness of the community around addicts and the people that treat them. And they're mm-hmm. it's just a very rich, smart. It's an incredible group of people. This is and this disease is robbing us of the best and the brightest. It is. Well, I'm glad that you always. Uh remind people that it, it is a disease because there's still not enough studies for it. But it's crazy. Um, yeah, it's just I it's weird. It's crazy to know that you went to therapy too. I didn't know that until after listening to you for many years. I realized that you said that you had suffered from really bad anxiety um, in your 20s, and I'm 24 right now, and I'm really struggling with my anxiety and my depression. Um, and just started taking medication, so it's like the same Good. thing with you. Where you said you were angry because you could have gotten treated and yep. diagnosed, but nobody knew how to treat you, but it was so simple to treat you, you know? Yeah, I could have been helped. And uh, it wasn't even just that they didn't know how to do it. There was no adolescent, young adult mm-hmm. healthcare. Nobody focused on that group. And so I was just sort of marginalized by the medical community. It was really awful care I got. And so it made me 
think like, well, I don't want that to happen to anybody else. I'm going to pay attention to, to young people because they their their trajectory is getting set up right then. And you can really get off course if you're not careful. So exactly. Uh, yeah. All right, Ashley. Thank you for the call and thank you for the kind words. Well, thank you. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thank you for doing. You got my privilege. And let's. Uh, I want to talk to uh, Tracy here. We have another super chat. Okay. You want to tell me what that was? Is. Uh, can you can't hear your mic. Yeah. Can you my mic on. I'll turn my mic okay. on. Thank, uh, it's from Mark Page. Thanks for helping us get through this whole, uh, with genuine ob objective perspective. Any ideas why the homeless population is do doing so much better with COVID? Than Great the question. I first thought it was because they're outside. Uh, because I, I think UV has a major, major contribution to um, reducing the spread. So I think that may be a big part of it. Because I, here in Los Angeles, when the homeless came inside, that's when they got it. <laughs> so so ones on the street did a lot better also i feel like maybe they don't have the same contact with other people you know the average person doesn't get close to to the homeless population and they there's have permanent social distancing and they're spread out one from the other right and so there's a lot of social distancing going on uh, already in that population but i think uv light may be the bigger component so hi tracy what's going on Hey, Dr. Drew. Uh, so I uh, participated in the Pfizer study today oh, in uh, Anaheim. Awesome. And I have a question for you. They yeah. didn't have a lot of information. And of course, I've done a lot of research between Moderna and, and Pfizer because they're both here in the Southern California for testing. Yep. Um, what about ADE, the antibody uh, dependent enhancement, where if you have the vaccine, and they saw this like in the 60s with RSV, they saw it in the original SARS vaccine that was never, of course, finished because it burned out before it was necessary. But where the you have the antibodies from the vaccine, but when you actually get exposed to the virus, it becomes extraordinarily large and you have much worse outcomes. Right, and, and there is the yes, that that is the dreaded complication of vaccine therapy. And the, believe me, the the theorists are on top of this. Exactly what they do to reduce that risk, I, I'm not sure. I suspect it has something to do with the targets they're using. Uh, I think they had a lot of this with Zika virus, if I remember right. Is that correct? I think so. Yeah, Zika. yeah. Yep. I, and and Zika, and, there, and there are there are you know when you're talking about new vaccines, there are potentials for you know unanticipated reactions. I mean, there just are. I with the RNA vaccines, I worry about. I mean, we're talking about genomic alterations. I worry about you know lymphomas and leukemias down the line, like years down the line. That that's the stuff I worry about with the Moderna vaccine. I'm still willing to take the risk because I believe they've done their homework. Um, but the more traditional vaccines, exactly how they prevent that ADE, I'm not sure. I'm not sure, Tracy. I'm sorry I don't know that. Share a little bit more about your thoughts about the concerns about lymphoma and any type of well, cancer. It's fan it's, I, mRNA yeah, it's, 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 it is uh, fantasy only. That I'm, that I'm having that concern. I've brought it up with other peers, and I found that a number of them had a similar fantasy. Like, you know, whenever you start messing with the... We're all so used to the lymphatic system going haywire <laughs> through through a genetic phenomenologies, from genetic alterations. I, I don't want to get into specific biochemistry, but the, the white cell system leukemias lymphomas you know we as physicians deal with a lot of 
environmental whenever there's an environmental exposure that leads to cancer those are the ones we worry about the bone marrow and we worry specifically about the white cells because that's where it tends to go and so when the whether it's radiation or an rna vaccine or other things that are in any way monkeying with the genetic functioning of those that system our fantasies immediately go to those sorts of outcomes now there is zero evidence of this zero evidence and i want to put my money where my mouth is and take that moderna vaccine and be properly scientific but the fantasy is oh my goodness could it you know at some point cause that kind of thing that uh, we've seen after all these years so pfizer has one too yeah different different vaccine it's a very different kind uh kathy what's going on there kathy hi dr drew thank you very much for taking my call Mm -hmm. can you hear me i do Hello. I hear you. Do you hear me? Oh, hi, Dr. Yeah. Drew. Thank you very much for taking my call. I'm I'm actually um, re-watching all the seasons of Celebrity Rehab currently while I'm at home quarantining. Oh, nice. Um, my question is, um, I have a brother who's been um, dealing with opioid addiction for greater than 10 years on and off. Mm-hmm. Um he ended up going into treatment about a year and a half ago around Christmas, and um, we thought everything was fine. We just found out recently that there's been um, a relapse, and my family, they're pretty much ready to turn their back on him, giving up on him because, you know, they're just tired of dealing with the lies and stealing and, and everything like that. Um, he's never stolen from me. Um, but my question for you basically is um, having felt like an enabler in the past um i can't turn my back on him okay because okay. i'm afraid okay you're afraid that you're i'm afraid. gonna get that phone call that right. something happened to him you're afraid he's gonna die and, and, and believe me he will you he will I, use did that I do fear enough he will use that fear against you but before i before i launch into this uh somebody is uh, setting me straight on the pfizer vaccine apparently that's also an on rna vaccine uh really moderna is a dna vaccine and pfizer is an rna vaccine no uh it probably is vice versa yeah it's probably vice versa because uh the pfizer pfizer there i knew there were some dna vaccines out there and that may be the i thought pfizer was also okay i don't know enough about the pfizer product i think astrazeneca may be again this is all just alphabet soup here i think astrazeneca has a has a more live attenuated virus vaccine i think the dna vaccine may be the pfizer one and the rna the moderna i don't know for sure but uh yes susan you're saying something yes yes um all right so kathy here's the deal um you know opiate addiction is very dangerous it is fatal you understand that right kathy yes okay so you understand that 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 it has a terrible prognosis to it and we just have to accept that he has a disease with a bad prognosis that's something you have to kind of prepare yourself for come come to terms with now i'm not saying give up on him not quite the contrary have you ever gone? I understand. Yeah. Have you ever gone to Al-Anon? I have not. Okay. Well, that's the one. It is something I've recently considered, though. It is the one thing you can do that will make a difference is to go to Al-Anon and get a sponsor and work the steps yourself. If I were treating you or I was involved in your uh, in the your family, yeah. I would order you to go. And I can't tell you how often I say that to people and they say, I'll do anything. Oh, no, I'm not. Well, I won't go to Alana. It is the one thing 
that has a measurable difference, creates a measurable difference for the patient. You must go if you actually want to struggle on behalf of your brother. Okay. For instance, your fear that he's going to die, that is a normal fear. His He, in his disease, will use that to manipulate you, and there's no way you can withstand that on your own. You have to have somebody with you when he comes at you with, with that material. And that's what Al-Anon is. Your sponsor will stand with you as you deal with your brother. And it will change the dance you're engaged with with him and allow you to do the things you need to do. I always tell people the, the disease of addiction is uh, exactly like the, the plant, the Audrey II in the Little Shop of Horrors. If you go, if you ever saw a little shop of horrors, there's this plant that eats people. Yeah. And if you go in the room by yourself, you go into the plant. The plant eats you. And that is the way addiction is. If you are, it's a, it's a relational disease. You're in the disease when you're around your brother, unless you have somebody pulling you out. I call it Ariadne's cord. If you have somebody, the golden thread, pulling you back yeah. and standing there with you, it's a different dance. And, it, and when the, the patients feel that difference, it often really gets their attention. And it, begin, it begins to start the motivation towards getting well. And you may be able to offer some, some things you couldn't offer if you weren't engaged with Al-Anon that might help him as well. Does that make sense? I appreciate that. It does make a lot of sense. And like I said, it is something that I considered. I was actually, I sat with my phone in my hand and like dialing the, um, the mental health number on the back of my insurance card and then hanging up. And you know what I mean? Like doing that a couple times because yeah. it's like whether I was looking for um, some kind of uh, counselor in my area that specializes in this, like right. private counseling so, versus so if Kathy, they can refer me to a local Al-Anon. Right. But so, I just, I don't so know. I don't know why do. I kept hanging up. So I'm going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to say something even. That's just where I was okay. at the time. I'm going to say something even stronger. If you do not, if you do not get it, seeing a therapist will not replace Al-Anon. It will just enhance it. So you still have to go to Al-Anon. Just go online, find a meeting, go to an Al-Anon meeting. There are lots of Zoom meetings now, too. So you can go to an Al-Anon Zoom meetings. They're easy. There's no barrier. Just go. If you don't go, you are actively contributing to yeah. the Listen to me. If you don't go, you are actively contributing to the problem. You're actively contributing to the problem if you do not go. I understand. So, so to, to, to say, I'm contemplating going makes no sense if you actually want to help your brother you just must go the other thing to think about for him is he has he had suboxone therapy has he failed that yet um he was in on suboxone when he was actively going through the steps of treatment mm -hmm. like he went through uh, the detox and then he went to some uh, the step-down treatment, and right. then he went to the halfway house. Like, the whole thing yeah. took about, like, six months Great. by the time he was discharged. Um, and at, at, in that time, I can't remember how long after 
He was discharged like, if he discontinued it while he was right, still but, in or shortly okay. after. All right, so, so um, the point is he's had good treatment. But yeah, he was on Suboxone okay. for a while. He may need to get back on it again. He may need to go back into the halfway house for a while. I mean, he needs more treatment. You know, Just like if he had a relapse on any other medical condition, he's going to need some more yeah. treatment. And uh, the only way he's going to get there is with you know family laying down the right motivation so that's going to be Al-Anon for you so i head on out go to the meeting right now you can zoom on in uh, maria is asking a question along those same lines she's on narcotics for chronic pain for 20 years what would help her pain marie i've seen remarkable results in the last six months with suboxone i'm not a huge suboxone fan for opiate addiction though i'm not i'm not against it i just i just think it's overused a little bit but in the setting of chronic pain it has been miraculous. Susan, we may want to do a, a stream someday with Dr. Bruce because he's had accumulated a ton of experience with this now. Okay, go ahead. We also have a super chat from Mary T. I just posted. From Marie? Uh, Mary T. I just put oh, it up. Mary it says, T. Should immu, I can't even say that word, immunocompromised mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm. go to the dentist? How about the airplane? Husband has cancer, long-term transplant patient. Um. It depends what he's on right now still. I'm, I, I imagine he's a, a bone marrow transplant patient. Unfortunately, I can't. She's not giving me enough information. Um, uh, what is Crime 411? Somebody wants me on Crime 411. don't know what that is. Uh, let me just say, yes, immunocompromised in any way, you ought to take extra precaution. It's uh, obviously a risk factor. Uh, if you're older and immunocompromised, then you really have to watch out because age is a major determinant of how this disease affects people. Obviously, if you're immunocompromised, going to the dentist is one thing where there's a lot of protections. I, I don't worry about that so much, but unnecessary things like plane travel and whatnot, I, I wouldn't engage in that if there's any concern that you're in a risk category. So uh let me just think this uh, there's another one when are you coming on crime 411 we, we, we just said that okay one. we just said that uh you can contact us at uh drdrew.com slash contact okay and carrie wanted me to repeat uh my thoughts uh on um on quercetin and zinc so Susan and I, uh, on Dr. Zelenko's recommendations, have have been taking the prophylactic. Because we're going to travel. Right. We are taking quercetin, 500 milligrams. That's Q U. It's not quercetin. It's quercetin. Q-U-E-R-C-E-T-I-N. We get it from Amazon. Quercetin, 500 milligrams, and zinc, 25 milligrams. You're taking your zinc, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And, um, I don't get sick from it. Not, you take a whole tablet or a half? 25 mil yeah. i don't know whatever you gave me i i gave you 50 oh i just take it it doesn't bother me all right you're you're bionic <laughs> um and uh it makes me not hungry all day but oh that's interesting like that's interesting uh but anyway i i the research is not there yet for me to say hey you should be doing this as a clinician i'm suggesting you do it i'm telling you for the two of us we, i'm convinced i'm doing it uh whether or not it's a fool's errand or not i can't say yet uh, but it's it makes sense to me that it might be somewhat useful, and that's why I'm I'm doing it. Are we going to um, take hydroxychloroquine with us on our trip? Yeah, I've got it in my, my suitcase. A hundred percent. I've got. We're a COVID test halfway. Yeah, through. if we get a fever, I will immediately switch to hydroxychloroquine. That that, that is what that is where I I'm believe it has some utility is right at the beginning. I um, feel like if you get tested after you a week after you fly, it's probably a good idea just in case, right? 
Well, it could take a week to turn positive. No, I know, but it just so feels it's it's, to it's hard to know. Again, be a little bit of a. No, I'm all for being as careful as possible. Um, proactive. Uh, Connie, yeah, wearing masks, I'm convinced, is a more effective preventative agent than just about anything else. So, um, uh, somebody's Monique, con- yeah, I'm sorry. I think I drank the phone. Monique, you've been very helpful with information, so I'm trying to get your. Uh, the, the, the references, Monique, are uh, physician referred through Dr. Zelenko. If you look at that, if you look at that um, stream, uh, find it. Yeah, I did an interview with him, and he convinced me that it was a reasonable thing to do. Um, there's not much for us to do, right? So it's a, it's about a risk reward ratio. So if it costs three dollars and it has almost no downside, and there's some some physiological reason to ex- expect it might work. This is the this is the sort of realm we're in while we rate we wait for the randomized placebo controlled studies, um, and, and particularly when these things are cheap. I, the only thing I worry about with zinc is copper metabolism. Some people with the cop, their copper metabolism can get out of whack with it, uh, but that's really it. Uh, zinc gives you ringing in my ears, Jeanette. I get the exact same thing. That's at the really? higher dose. Yeah, I got that a little bit. And I, I get that interestingly from any medication in a high dose. So it's it probably has something to do with the dosing. Be very careful with that. I don't uh, get any ringing in my ears. Uh, 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 you know, you're bionic. <laughs> I, I, there's a reason I selected you to reproduce with, evidently. I just need a shot of vodka, um, that's all. That that's <laughs> Nothing comes without some potential downside. <laughs> uh, uh, um, I'm looking at the calls here for a second here. Oh. Cody, uh, you want to talk about eczema? I I wonder if you tried the immunomodulatory newer medication for uh, these kinds of things, like some of the really actually the psoriatic medication. I don't have expertise with using these things, so I, I really don't want to get into that conversation. It wouldn't be right. I, w- I would absolutely talk to a dermatologist, and if you're unsatisfied, would maybe go to a tertiary center like a university where they're teaching dermatology and doing research on again the the immune medication. You see they advertise them on TV all the time, right? Uh, the immune modulating medication are changing dermatology, asthma, uh, and Crohn's disease radically. Uh, I have a Tom cigar. I had a friend get addicted to crack. That person became criminal. That person isn't trustworthy. I don't have. Well, uh, Tom cigar. The, he may not. That person is not trustworthy when they are in their disease. In order for him to uh, recover from his disease, he will have to become rigorously honest. That part of the, the part it, part of the disease of addiction is lying. If you don't, if you're not lying, you really probably may not have addiction even. Uh, okay, you guys, I am, I am exhausted. I got to say, I don't know why. Have we seen uh, the dead zone? No. What is that? I don't know. Somebody said season two, episode 14 plague. It I, consists of a viral outbreak. I thought we hydroxy. I heard about that. And how the CDC eventually would have figured out it wouldn't work. <laughs> Boom. I pulled a clip. Thank you. Weird. Uh, Psychic. Hmm. <laughs> Husband had a kidney transplant as a child. No forty-three. Tackle. Yeah, that's a, that's immune compromised. So we're not going to get to all the calls today, unfortunately. Uh, no, I addressed all the calls. You, oh, you did. Yeah, I just, I just. You. Yeah, we appreciate the for call. Calling in. And if you wanted the next, ask Dr. Drew if you want to get your question online uh, or get your questions. You'll get a text when you're 
when we start, you text your question to 9842drew or go to drdrew.tv and just sign up to be on the email list and you'll get a you'll get a notification. Well, and we are going to set up a Patreon where I sit down with small groups and really go into this in greater detail. Um, Artemis, you have a great question, which is, is buprenorphine better than methadone for pain? It's a, it, that's kind of a complicated question, but I would say methadone has, is just extremely risky. And once you on it, it's almost impossible to get off. And it has lots of side effects. Buprenorphine, not so much. Easier to get off. Not great to get off, but easier than methadone and less side effects. And more benefit for pain. I'm chronic pain particularly. I, I'm, I've seen buprenorphine change people's lives commonly. Uh, yeah, Patreon coming for these Zoom meetings. That's so. Me. Hey, I just had a great idea. Hmm? What if you have Bob do a, a we'll have a, him in here with an me. AA meeting on Zoom? Can't do that. You can't do. You can't. I can't. I can't. He's not a Zoom. He doesn't do that. He could. You can't. It's a. That's a professional stuff, and AA is a wholy separate operation okay, can't well, be adulterated in an any way by anybody it's a non-commercial have an non interview with him and then he could just be well he could come in and do a zoom with me yeah that's what i mean so let's have let's have, we'll do some stuff with bob ferris we'll bring shelly in and do some stuff too. talk about suboxone and, yeah and um opioids and stuff i am but addicted that'll to be caffeine i am addicted to caffeine josh we'll do that on a patreon um what is the ethical mess, Wendy King? I'm happy to address it if you, if yeah, you have questions. Yeah, if you join the email list, you're going to get some really exciting information coming up about our Patreon and our new, our new ideas. And so get it first. Buprenorphine essentially is Suboxone, uh, Mr. Canada. The, the, I mean, essentially. Uh, methadone clinic, a lot of those folks turn to Coke. I know. The, the methadone, a lot of people on replacement anything are using other drugs. So that's a concern, right? Uh, they gave it to you after surgery, worked better than fentanyl. I, you know, fentanyl is a nefarious drug, obviously. Um, and it, it, I, it gives me headaches, really bad headaches. Uh, are you aware of antabuse being studied for treating COVID? No, that's a strange thing. I, I saw that uh, Viagra is being used to, to treat uh, COVID. I found that was a strange study. Uh, okay, let's kind of wrap things up here. Again, uh, we appreciate y'all being here. We love Scott Adams. We appreciate him being here. We're going to have uh, Cat Tim next Wednesday. Great. And then just some random uh dose of dr drew's coming up uh and then next thursday we'll also have another ask dr drew so we'll be able to do qu live questions next week next thursday next thursday yeah we're gonna we're gonna live stream from our new york and huh. and caleb's gonna run the board here ah. and then you're gonna be on the vmix and then we can see if somebody else will do it. Maybe we can find, find somebody in New York. Yeah. So it's just me, me doing the, um, the phone call. Yeah, and then Kat's going to come in person and do the, she's going to take over for Tyrus on Wednesday since we're okay. traveling. Uh, Jennifer, what about ketamine nasal spray for depression? Uh, FDA is going to approve. I believe they have approved it. I know a lot of people are using it. I, I'm more interested in the amphetamine, ketamine rather, infusions. The ketamine infusions really do work in resistant depression. They're really more using the ketamine nasal spray as sort of a maintenance thing. I, I worry about that nasal spray a little bit. Um, but again, uh, they want us to speak to Dr. Peterson. There's a lot of talk about that, who is the Laurent uh, Larab guy. So Susan, we may want to get onto that, okay? Yeah, that'll have to be after the 17th. Yes, we're traveling. Uh, we are hopefully not going to get COVID, that we're going to work hard. and not. not. We are going to be using our UV wands. If you guys, I, <laughs> I am really an advocate of UV wands. So uh, this is going to be in my pocket. Um, I know the airlines are sometimes using UV wands themselves to go through the aircraft before they clean them. I mean, before you get in, but I'm going to be using it myself. Well, they're testing it. 
Mm, they're using it. JetBlue was JetBlue testing is it. Using it. Are they opinion. using it? Well, they're using it, but they're 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 kind well, of they're, obviously they have to attest to make sure. So it works, but, United uh, but this, gives, this really gets rid. This twenty seconds of UVC does seem to have a significant effect. So in terms of for me, it's like use Clorox on everything, and then all the other it gets at all the, the other little crevices. Yeah, you can't get at everything with Clorox, and uh, to me, it's a, 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 and if you're getting in an automobile like an Uber or something, if you're going to travel, I I don't know how you do it without trying this. Uh, get Jordan Peterson in here. Your mouth to God's ears. He's still he's still struggling with his clonopin thing, yeah. but I would still happily talk to him. I'm fascinated by a lot of his stuff. Do I have research on the UV wands, Mary? I do. Uh, somebody just sent me some uh, a bunch of um, research on it because I didn't want to mention it until I'd read the, the research. Most of it is on. Um, the non-wand UVC, there's a lot of stuff. People are putting UV into the ventilator systems. People are putting UVC in the rooms as a standalone to, you know, sort of parallel to to um, sterilize rooms overnight. I am in personally involved with a, medicine, a company called Red Hawk who got into this stuff, and I was a big enthusiast when they did that. They're the needle destruction people that I've been trying to get people to sign on to because we have such a massive problem with needles. But um, I'm in, I'm just telling you what I'm doing with the wands. I am I am doing it actively. Uh, Dr. Peterson needs to talk to me. Why, Josh? Why would he need to talk to me? Um, Tom Cigar says, wands, duh. We can't get Clorox. I know, Mary, it's hard to get Clorox. I understand that. But uh, that is the, what you, you know, we, we've got, we actually bought jugs of Clorox solution. We're you can, gonna, you could just yeah. put paper towels in yeah, there. Yeah, we're making our own. Uh, also, uh, the airlines are handing out the wipes as well. Oh, I read. Yeah. interesting they're giving you like a lunchbox with a wipe in it a bottle of water and food they're not like surfing food like they used to and our buddy terry dubrow is apparently selling cutting in and out. susan our buddy Dar terry dubrow is um, an advocate for the uv sticks as well oh is he here no oh. somebody else is saying we should talk he's probably um, selling him on qvc mm -hmm. <laughs> I, him. I, I think this is could be a help people get around i, I really do you uh, have to have him on doc talk monday or doc doc tuesday when we get back. sure get him in he'd be mm -hmm. a good one he would be good uh, be interesting to see what he's seeing. Get off the hydroxychloroquine uh, thing and talk about plastic um, surgery. I, I Tom Cigar, I'm sorry, I don't. I only have a phone number for the wands. I will have is? a website. Do you know it's, the number? It's uh, eight six six four Red Hawk. Is that it? Yeah, I think so. Eight six six four number four Red Hawk. That's the word. They're and, I, um, they're building a new website, I think, but they're just taking their. Uh, and they will have the ex we'll have the website. I was told a week from Monday. Um, Donald, uh, wait, uh, the division over face masks is a public health risk, making them this up as you go along, excusing every excess by authorities, exacerbating the problem. I'm not sure what you mean, Donald, but um, I do, I'm a mask maven. I'm a strong, I cannot advocate masks strongly enough. They are, they are a significant, in the 1918 flu, they've turned things around. You can see the data for yourself as people start distancing and wearing masks. You can see this, this recent, a uh, little surge we're in, uh, go, getting back to normal. So to not wear masks, I think, is a, is a terrible problem. A terrible, terrible problem. And uh, I really ask people to please do so. There's just, I, I understand there's all sorts of overreach. I understand it feels like a muzzle. I know you don't want to listen to the government, they, nor that they have the authority to make you do these things. But please do it. It does make a big difference. All right, we'll wrap things up right there. We thank you for the calls. Thank you for Scott Adams. Thank you for being on the chat. We'll be in here, Susan, when? Maybe Monday or Tuesday? Uh, oh, um, 
you're busy this weekend, but Monday maybe we can hook you up. Okay. Thank you to Caleb for producing this thing. Thank you to Taylor for uh, great show calls. Uh, thank you to Michelle Poe for the set design behind me here. And uh, thank you all to being uh, being in here and hanging in and asking great questions. And uh, hopefully, hopefully we're helping things. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we're moving things forward. And uh, that's really our goal. So if we can do that better, let us know how, and we will continue to do it. I don't know why the mic goes in and out. It's driving me nuts. Caleb, right. we got to fix it. We're going to wrap it up. Thank you so much, guys. We'll see you next week. Ask Dr. Drew is produced by Caleb Nation and Susan Pinsky. This is just a reminder that the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care or medical evaluation. This is purely for educational and entertainment purposes. I'm a licensed physician with over 35 years of experience, but this is not a replacement for your personal physician, nor is it medical care. If you or someone you know is in immediate danger, don't call me, call 911. If you're feeling hopeless or suicidal, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255, anytime, 24 seven, for free support and guidance. You can find more of my recommended organizations and helpful resources at drdrew.com help. 